Again, Lord, I pray you'd bless your word tonight. We'll pick it up in verse 8 as we move on to faithful Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in a land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, that is the premise of what we're starting to to go back through here tonight. And, and as you'll see here, Genesis um, explains a lot of what here. This is an, a, sort of a, a condensed, distilled proclamation of Abraham. But I want to go back uh, to Genesis 11, where he came from, uh, his father from the Ur of the Chaldeans. And I want to lay the groundwork about Abraham because he is such an important figure in the Old Testament. You think about the book of Genesis, it covers more than 2,000 years uh, of time. And that's at least, you know, probably at least 20 generations. And think of it, a third of that book covers this man. So I just don't want to just skip over it like, oh, well, you know. No, we, there's something here for us that is very relevant uh, for our walk with God. And so let's go back to Genesis 11. You can take your sweaty finger out of there now. <laughs> you know how that works. <laughs> and so what we see here in the big picture, and this is a framework that you need to have. There's certain, if, when you have a certain paradigm or a, a, a worldview, or in this case a scriptural view of how the Old Testament is laid out, and you've been cued in on it, then the insights come. And what we have here is God's answer to what happened in chapter in this chapter 11. But before we can really appreciate what happened in chapter 11, we've got to appreciate what's happened in the way the Lord conducts himself when it comes to rebellion. We Remember this past Sunday we talked about the inheritance and we have this quote-unquote family business that... that, that is part of God's program, for lack of a better way to understand it. But within the family of God, within the heavenly family, there was rebellion. Satan, Lucifer, rebelled. And then he, through temptation of our first parents in chapter 3, which we sort of attribute to all our problems on the earth, to chapter what happened in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord and sinned. The complications of sin upon the earth are much more than what happened in Genesis 3. And we need to understand that. So we do get that. We're very, most of us, because we've read our Bibles and we've, for a number of years, we know what happened in Genesis 3. But do we really appreciate what happened in Genesis 6? That's the second rebellion. And not only was it just, it was the interaction of the Nakash in chapter 3, right? 
you know, the heavenly member of that family intruded into these brothers and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. So here we have a little commentary or an understood fact from their tradition that God gave Abram the revelation, you get out of your country, leave. But it tells us that Terah took his children. Now, is that just honoring the, the chain of command, the order, you know, the father, the sons? Could be, but it says Terah, in verse 31, it says Terah took Abraham and his grandson Lot. So, okay, just saying. He dwelt in Haran and said, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to the land that I'll show you. And he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. So, essentially, he was partially obedient to the call of God. I just wanted to point that out. Now, I have fun with this. I, I know some of you do too, but I like to look up the names and their meanings. I'm kind of I'm kind of that kind of guy that I like. To find out what the names, what your name means, in in names in the Bible, and the name Terah means delay, interesting enough, and the name Haran means parched or barren, and we'll find out that there are some there's some disagreement with Sarai, uh, but her name means contentious. Uh, others go with princess and then exalted princess with Sarah but we'll get into that later so um, just here's a principle in scripture for us if there's partial obedience in your life you can expect to have barrenness man I just feel like my my walk with God is so dry it's like man where's God at and all of this you know you know you have those moments we've all been there let's not play games it's, the, it's part of what we are. We're fallen. We're going to experience those things. Well, it's sometimes you just need to examine your heart. Am I doing everything that I know God wants me to do? Am I walking the way He wants me to walk? Am I seeking to live a pure life before Him? And I do. Am I seeking to obey the truth that's been revealed to me? Now, we all fall short of that, but we should not ever give up. We need to strive in those areas. If we delay, if we delay drawing near God, we'll experience barrenness. So don't delay. Don't partially obey. Now let's pick it up here in verse, chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. This is where Stephen got his information from. To a land that I'll show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You shall be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham departed as the Lord's 
had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And when then Abraham took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And so Abram journeyed going through still toward the south or the Negev. The Abrahamic promise, is, we won't spend much time on that, uh, tonight anyway, um, but it involves two things essentially, land and seed. Uh, the land, of course, we know that's the promised land, and then the seed referring to you know, Messiah, essentially, seed, it, capital S. And so the idea is that the Messianic line would come through uh, him and through the Shem line. The land belongs to Abraham. That's his inheritance. But he never owned one thing, except well, only one thing in the land the whole time. And that was the plot of land that he purchased as a burial site for his wife. I find that very interesting. There's a lot of things that God will give us in this side of heaven, just chatting with that prior to the service tonight. There's our, we talked about inheritance on Sunday a little bit, obviously. There's inheritance that we have waiting for us on the other side, but there's an inheritance, spiritually speaking, now that we enjoy. But there's an inheritance that we have, uh, in a sense, that's beyond that. And, and it's tied to, to God's blessing. We don't obey the Lord so that he'll bless us. The blessings of God are a result of his of our obedience. If we keep ourselves, as Jude puts it this way, keep ourselves in the love of God. If we keep ourselves in a position where God can bless us, He will. And I believe the more we're, the better we are at that, the greater blessings that we'll enjoy in this life. And so I am not seeking to obey God so He'll bless me. I'm obeying God because I have a surrendered will. I'm broken. I'm contrite before him. I have learned that his way is better than my way. As the scripture says, his thoughts are higher than mine. They're great. His understanding is far greater than I could ever understand. And I, my job, my responsibility is to just simply yield to, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And in that is, that is obedience. And with that brokenness and that obedience, God showers his blessings upon it's not because we kept the Ten Commandments and we helped that little older lady across the street and we took bread to our neighbors. I mean, you know, whatever good work you want, it has nothing to do with that. It's the result of who God is and because He loves you and He loves us. 
But notice the key, and this is the key to his life, and we can take heart here. After he fully obeyed, right? You know, Dad's gone. I got no excuse now. So what's holding you back? We see what was holding Abraham back. So what's holding you back? There's some, there's some fear in our minds and hearts until we come to this point of full surrender that this fear is that if I fully surrender, my life is going to be absolutely miserable. That is the biggest lie that you could ever hear from the enemy. In fact, the opposite is true. It is the greatest blessing in your life to completely surrender. It's like coming to the point where I just don't care anymore what happens. I just trust you, Lord. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to live my life with spiritual reckless abandon, so to speak. And I'm just going to follow you, Lord. If I die, I die. Well, I'm going to anyway, but you know what I mean? You just, you're laying it on the line. And that, that's what blesses him. You're fully invested in what God has for you. And so this is what he does. He, he, he comes to that point, let's, we're packing up, let's roll. We're going. We're going to go where no man has gone before. Where I have never gone before, right? How many people in our fellowship here? You're not from here. I've moved a few times in my life. How did I end up in Traveler's Rest, pray tell? I like the name. I like what it infers. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> Are you resting? <laughs> you weary traveler? <laughs> you know, it's, it's way different than where I grew up. The people are different. The culture's a little bit different. And maybe, you know, there's culture shock. Man, these people, these roads. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other story. <laughs> My safety. God, please protect me. No, no, you learn how to pray, right? <laughs> the roads are bad. But there's an adjustment there. You know, he didn't know where he was going. Do you ever feel like that? We knew one, we knew two adult, two families, two adults and their spouses, two families when we moved here. It was called a cold plant if you, yeah, from church planting. But we just, okay, didn't know where I was going, didn't know what I was doing. Nothing much has changed there. <laughs> what am I doing now, right? And so don't, don't, do you see how what kind of how common this is? He's got it all mapped out. Abram Abram didn't have it all mapped out. Okay, God said to go. I'm going. That's this is important. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, that should be one of the most freeing things in your life when you come to the point where you don't have to have all the answers. I don't know. That's a freeing statement. I just don't know, but God does. We're going to see here before we close what's really important and what, why a third of this book, Genesis, is, speaks about Abraham. It tells us in verse... Make sure I got this right here. In verse 8... 
that he built an altar. Your time and your relationship with God is the single most important thing in your life. There's nothing and there's no one more important than your relationship with God. If you think that otherwise, you need to reevaluate your priorities. You were created by Him with purpose and the time and place that you now live and you're, in the age you are. All this is all by design. God has purposed it. And that's significant. But Abraham built an altar because he had heard from God and now he wants to spend time in God's presence. You, um, you'll see he knew how to offer sacrifice for sin. He knew how to be, get right with God. He knew how to submit to God and come under what God had ordained. He learned it from his father who learned it from his father who learned it from his father all the way back when the Lord illustrated sacrifice through substitutionary means to provide atonement. You and I have an altar, don't we? Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. We don't have to do the animal at all. We don't have to burn sacrifice. Jesus was burnt for us. He sacrificed for us. But we need, in our altar experience, one of the first things that we do in coming into the Lord's presence is deal with sin. That should always be one of the first things we address because we know that we fall short of His perfection. And then as, a, as we layer, that's what the burnt sacrifice is all about, is a complete, total surrender to Him. And then we worship. We offer the sacrifice of praise. I like Warren Wiersbe a lot. He's now with the Lord. He says, worship is, a personal, is to be personal and passionate. I love it when people sing loud, even if you can't make it, make it on tune, right? Make a joyful noise, make a loud noise. It doesn't matter. Just worship the Lord. It, it shouldn't. It doesn't. It, it's, it should not be formal. Oh, you know we have this, like everything has to be. Just be who you are. It should have be full of passion and feeling. If it's formal and unfeeling, you're wasting your time, and you're fooling yourself. So I encourage people, maybe you don't sing real well. Well, that's okay. How big's your house? Get you a... Turn on your favorite Christian album and go to the garage or someplace where you can be by yourself and just sing along. Just sing along the best you can. Keep it simple. You're driving, you know, nobody's in your car with you. Who cares about what the guy beside you might think at the stoplight? Block them out. Put a black thing over the window. <laughs> you know, just worship the Lord. That's what it's about. You know, here's what I, I've, and I'm sure you have experienced it too, as we worship the Lord. He, he becomes more real. Um, the Bible becomes more exciting. Wow, this is really cool. Wow. And you begin to see these little motifs, these little threads that run through the scripture. Like, whoa, that is so cool. It's fun. 
And and what you'll find and have found probably if you've been doing this for any length of time, it becomes almost natural to obey the Lord. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. I know that offends him. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to watch what I see with my eyes. I'm going to watch what I hear and I'm going to do better at guarding my tongue and watch what I say. You know, we become better at that as we worship the Lord. That's the only way we're ever going to improve in those areas, so to speak. We pray easier. It's easier to pray. It's easier to share the Lord. It's easier to love the brethren, (laughs) even those that disagree with you, right? (laughs) It's easier to give. It's easier to help other people. Everything that God requires becomes easier as we worship Him, not harder. You know, and the bottom line is you, you have joy. You have joy in your life. I don't, I, I, I just sense in the world, you know, what's going on in the world today that the church is being ripped off of their joy. We're letting what's going on out here, okay, I don't like $5 a gallon fuel either, but I'm not going to focus on that. My God, he owns it all. So I got to tr- tighten up my budget. Okay, fine. whoop de doo It's all going to burn anyway in the end, right? But my focus isn't on this. It's vertical. I want, why do, I ask myself the question really, if I do not have joy, why am I not happy? Why don't I have joy? Because I'm focused horizontally rather than vertically. You know, well, you're so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. No. That is a false statement. I am so heavenly minded, I am really do a lot of earthly good. And that will be the result. If you truly are engaged with God, it's going to show up in good works. It is an outflow of that. It's just the way it is. And in doing that, you'll have joy. So he built an altar. And he sacrificed. But notice what else he did. (coughs) He pitched his tent in Bethel. Now you know, everybody knows what Bethel means, right? House of God. What a place to pitch. Where are you pitching your tent? Now you you get into the story later on, chapter 14, if you want to go on in Genesis. Where did Lot end up pitching his tent? Sodom and Gomorrah. We know how that went. Now... We live in Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, United States of America. We've pitched our tent here. Boy, do we got to be careful. And that's why I think attending church and reading your Bible and building the altar and spending time, you've got to do this, man. Or Sodom and Gomorrah will get you down. You know, what does it say about Lot? Whose soul, whose righteous soul was vexed from day to day. And that's what's, what, that we experienced that with the culture as far gone as it is. Sin abounds, but grace much more. And we need to take the grace that God extends to us despite living in Sodom and Gomorrah. But he pitched his tent near Bethel. He didn't build a house. He pitched a tent. What's that mean? That means he's a temporary. He's an alien. He's a pilgrim. He's just passing through. Are you just passing through? Oh, I got to get everything I can get because, man, we just got to get it. And it's whoever has the most toys wins. No. That's not 
what it's about. He lived in a tent. I know, we build houses, I build them. You live in them, you live in one. We like roots, I, you know, I think, you get, don't miss the uh, application here. He was an, he's a template in his heart. He's just passing through. This life could be over in a moment. It's short. Think of what 50, 60, 100 years compared to eternity. You get the picture. We're tent dwellers. We're pilgrims. I'm going to leave everything that I've ever been given from the Lord to somebody else when I leave. It's just that simple. You know, think about what the, our pilgrims who settled this land did. They left their place across the sea in a boat and came to this and there was nothing here. And that was a chore. But they had a goal. They had a vision. We need a goal. We need a vision for our life. And God will give it to you. Oh yeah, but I'm too damaged by bad choices. Well, hold on. Is there anybody in this room that has not been damaged by sin? By tragic issues that have happened through the course of your life? We all have. But God can refocus and give you fresh vision and a new course. That's what he wants to do. And that's what he will do if you spend time at the altar. If you spend time pitching your tent near the house of God. There's five important things if you want to really experience revival and renewal in your life. You, you just, you got to get real with self. Don't worry about others. You know, the, this thing about liberty, Christian liberty, we all have a kind of a different conscience. Because partially because of personality, partially uh, uh, how we grew up and what we were exposed to. So your conscience won't let you do certain things because it bites you. Oh, I can do that. There may be things that I can do that you can't do. And there's all that various variation in the church. And so if you see someone exercising some liberty that you don't have, don't judge. I mean, there's certain things that I cannot do. And the Lord gave me a phrase early on when, when it comes to liberties, Christian liberties, and thinking that, you know, well, well, why can't I do that? Well, others can. This is the phrase the Lord gave me. Others can, you cannot. And you just leave it there. They're, they're going to answer to God. Who am I to judge another man's servant, by the way? It doesn't work that way. But five important things. If you want to grow in your altar experience, in your worship of God, to be real and fulfilling, and be renewed continually, call sin, sin. Just be honest with God. He already knows. We're naked, as the scripture says, before him anyway. Just be real. No self-pity. Well, you know, no. No self-pity. You don't get anywhere feeling sorry for yourself. And we all have a natural desire to do that. Never own anything because you're a pilgrim and you're just passing through. Never defend yourself. God's pretty good at taking care of his children. And this is a tough one here. Never pass on anything hurtful of another. It's easy to transgress that, but that is an important thing. And never accept glory for anything. If we, those are, just, you know, that's not a legalistic, it just, that, those are just lessons learned over 
a long time, not from me, but from others that have gone on before. I just copied them down and I try to apply them. So Abraham, it says there, he called on the name of the Lord. That's talking about his prayer life. How's your prayer life? How's your worship of God? See what it's all about? It, the simplicity of walking with God. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. It's the walk of faith. This is why he's in the hall of faith. Because he was faithful to God. And that's what we're picking up on. And so as we go back there, we'll build on this in the coming weeks. He obeyed the call of God, just to recap. He went out from the Ur of the Chaldeans, from Haran, not knowing where he was going. And then he occupied in the promised land. He built an altar. He pitched his tent. He occupied the area. Didn't own it. He just occupied. What did Jesus tell us to do? Until he comes. Occupy till he comes. Literally, in that Greek language, that means do business. We got a job to do. Our job is to image him. Our job is to fulfill the Great Commission. Understand that our life on this side is temporary and our our structures, our tents are temporary structures. But what did he do while he was waiting? He embraced the promise. God's what's coming. He knew. He, he do you see what he says? He waited for a, a city whose builder and maker is God. He's waiting for New Jerusalem. I mean, did he really see all of that? Wow. So you'd be surprised what, you're, what you'll begin to understand when you walk by faith and the bigger picture. May God help us walk in the example of Abraham. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this man. And we pray that at least a little bit of what he experienced of grace and mercy and blessing will be in our lives, Lord. That you'll teach us how to worship. Because ultimately, Lord, what's said of him is such an amazing thing that he was your friend. That's what you've called us to be. Your friends. Develop our friendship, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.